0: morning church. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. God bless the reading of the scripture and God bless you all this morning. Thank you, Kathy, for doing our reading. Sophia, welcome to the worship team. Thank you. That beautiful song. Thank you so much. You. Such, a, such a blessing. Such a blessing. Please you pray with me as we prepare our hearts? Lord, we don't want you to slip away from us. We just heard you slipped away. This man didn't know who you were. Lord, we we want to know who you are. We want to see you, know you, embrace you, hear you, follow you, love you. But Lord, there's competition. There are jobs, there are distractions, there are health issues, financial issues, there are family issues, just so many things that cause us to miss you. Lord, we pray you'd remove those things, those distractions this morning. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd reveal yourself to us. We ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us through the word. That I might be a channel for him to speak. That every heart here would be ministered to according to their specific need. Not just their wants, but their needs. Lord, we think of our loved ones and friends who are not in this room. Some have gone off to school, and Lord, they need to know Jesus better and not miss Him. We pray for them. We think of those who are deployed, and Lord, we don't want them to miss Jesus. We want them to see Him and and experience Him in their deployment. Minister to them, Lord. Bring them back safely to us. Lord, we have people in our congregation who are ill, can't be here, and we pray, Lord, that You would make yourself known to them and they might experience a healing touch from You. Bring them back to us. Lord, wherever people might be this morning who are part of this church and and aren't with us in this room, we, we just pray that they might know You as we know You and grow in You. Speak to us now, we ask. And we ask these things through the name which is a beautiful name, a powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's my habit on Tuesdays to set that day aside, to, to work on the sermon, to meditate, to research. And I was on my computer, my laptop, doing some research from the, on my sermon, When all of a sudden this iMessage came shooting across the top of my screen. And it goes, ding! You know, it catches my attention. And this iMessage said this, mom is not well not expecting her to make it. Well, that caught my attention, especially since as I looked at it, I didn't know who it was from. It was just a mainland phone number. And I knew it wasn't about my mom because she's safe and healthy and perfect living with Jesus. So she's already arrived in perfection, but I have two older sisters, and they both have health issues. Tally, my oldest sister, bedridden for 15 years, was miraculously healed for several years, and now she's back for a couple of years, back in bed and, and with health issues. And, and it's like, well, are yeah, one of my nieces and nephews texting me about her? And then my other sister, Trisha, she has um, Parkinson's disease and just had brain surgery, and she's a being... Um, In a rehab place right now, and I thought, well, maybe it's about her. And so one of my 10 nieces and nephews maybe has sent me a text about my sister, so I couldn't go on with the sermon. I, I, I thought, I have to know who sent this. I need to know. There's some things you just have to know. Today, as we continue our series on encountering Jesus, we're going to meet a man who, 38 years, was bedridden with an illness. We're not told what it was, but he's bedridden. And then he encounters a man that he didn't know. But this man he didn't know commands him, and I'll use a paraphrase: just get over it already. (laughs) And the man, the Scripture says, became well and began to walk. But he didn't know all that time who the man was who just healed him. I've been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I realized, as I calculated, over half a century. Man, I've read the Bible from cover to cover more than 25 times. After 25 times, I thought I don't need to keep count anymore. I have seven years of seminary under my belt. I'm proficient in the Greek language of the New Testament. But the more I study, the more questions I have and that's a good thing you see if I could answer all the questions about my God that means I have a pretty small God but I don't you and I have an infinite God and we're finite there will never come an end to us having questions that need to be answered even in all eternity we will be constantly learning because we are finite, and God's knowledge is infinite. So asking questions, I think, is good, and it's healthy, and it's something that will go on for all eternity, and God will be giving us answers. As we come to John chapter 5, I find it to be a chapter where I might have more questions than I find answers. And if you have your outline there, if you take it out, I'm going to tell you the first principle right off the bat, and it's this. Number one, Jesus doesn't give us answers to all of life's questions. Jesus doesn't give us answers to all of life's questions. And for some reason, we have it in the back of our mind that He's supposed to. That that's His job, to answer all my questions. And when you start With that foundation, you're going to discover you're going to be disappointed. Realize that Jesus isn't going to give you answers to all of your questions. That's where you need to start. No one on the planet has exactly the same opportunities. No one. And that might seem unfair. That might seem to raise questions. I mean, one child is born to extreme poverty. Another child is born to an upper-middle-class family. Another child is born into a family that has unimaginable wealth and maybe power. Why? How does God decide that? One child is brilliant. Not because of anything they did. They were born that way. A genius. And another child is born with learning disabilities. Why? That just doesn't seem fair. One child, he's awkward, even a bit peculiar looking. Another child is adorably cute. And everybody goes, oh, you've got the cutest baby, a Gerber baby. They should be a model. And, and they're ignoring the other baby. Why? It doesn't seem fair. One child has heard the gospel ever since they were in the womb. Family playing Christian music. Telling the child about Jesus, reading stories, taking them to Another child grows up in a country and never hears about Jesus their entire life. That does not seem fair. And I have some questions about that. Oh, I know the answers to give you, but they won't satisfy you, they don't satisfy me. God is sovereign. Most people don't even know what sovereign means. God has his purposes. Well, I know that, but it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't answer the question. We live in a fallen world. Well, I know that, but it doesn't answer the question. There's some questions that don't get answered satisfactorily in this mortal life. Jesus doesn't give us answers to all of life questions, and John chapter five is a good illustration of that. Jesus heals one man out of a multitude and leaves the rest sick and walks away. And I have some questions about that. Everybody, every place else he goes, everybody gets healed. All they have to do is touch his garment and they all get healed. They bring their families, their friends, their neighbors, everybody in the entire region the gospel says, get healed of whatever they have. But in this story, Jesus walks into a multitude and goes, you, get up, go. And that's it. I have some questions about that and the problem is, I'm the one behind the pulpit and I'm supposed to be giving the answers. <laughs> Look at chapter 5 verse 1 with me. It starts off this way. After these things, what things? Well, after Jesus has just turned water into wine, after he has just healed a royal officer's son by long distance, after those things, Jesus went to a feast, a party. It's a feast of the Jews. It's a Jewish feast. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And the Jews had three different feasts during the year that every Jewish male within 15 miles of Jerusalem was required to attend. So a lot of people went to this. They had the Passover feast, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But another thing we don't know, we don't even know which feast this is. It doesn't say. It just says a party, a feast, a celebration. So the whole city of Jerusalem is celebrating. Kind of like this Sunday, a lot of people are celebrating the Super Bowl. But not everyone. <laughs> Look at verses 2 and 3. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. Those would be uh, like areas of porches, five different areas with columns. And in these lay a multitude of those who are sick, blind, lame, and withered. As we talked about a week or two ago, a multitude. What's a multitude? I don't know what a multitude is, but it's more than you. It's a huge group, multitude. You don't say multitude when it's a small group. It's a large group of people. And these people are lame. They're withered. They're sick. They're blind. And they're left out of the party. Most likely you've been there. Everyone else is having a great time. And you are totally miserable and you're left out. It's humbling when you realize that life goes on without you. It does. You're at a job and, and you're indispensable. They make you work overtime, long weekends. And then you rotate out or you retire and things just go on real smoothly. <laughs> you're going, "Well, I thought I was so important that I had to work all these extra hours." life goes on without you i would imagine that few of the jewish partygoers who have gathered in jerusalem to celebrate are thinking about this multitude of sick blind lame and withered they're not letting this group of people affect their partying their partying they're busy praising god and celebrating and i don't think that's wrong i mean just because someone else is miserable doesn't mean you're supposed to be miserable Just because you're being blessed doesn't mean you can't go, yippee, because someone else isn't being blessed. That's not right. We should thank God for our blessings. We should enjoy when we're blessed richly. We should avoid false guilt. We shouldn't feel guilty because our life is better than someone else's. God doesn't want that. Your failure to be happy or be appreciative or joyful won't bring happiness and joy to the person who doesn't have it. Jesus doesn't berate the party goers. Because they went to the party and these people are sick. But it all seems a little unfair. And I have some questions about that. So, why is this group of sick, blind, lame, and withered gathered around the pool of Bethesda? What's going on there? Well, if you look at verse 4 in your Bibles, you'll discover something. It may not be there. (laughs) My verse 4 is not there, it's in the margin of my Bible. The reason it's in the margin is that it's not found in the oldest Greek manuscripts, the most reliable, it kind of enters later on. And so it's believed by biblical scholars that this was a commentary that was in the margin of some text that later on got copied into our Bibles. And it was a commentary to help us understand what was going on there. So that's another thing we don't know. We don't know if this verse is part of the original scriptures or whether it was added later. It's a variant. But I have to go to the margin of my Bible to read it, and it says this. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Well, that explains why they're at the pool. But did an angel really come down and Stir the pool? I mean, if this isn't part of the original Scripture, is this just superstition? I mean, we don't have any place else in the entire Scriptures where angels heal. They give messages, but they don't heal. And so we have a lot of questions, like, is this part of the original? And and was there really stirring? And did anybody actually really get healed in this pool? Or was this just an underwater, underground-fed spring? And every once in a while, it just bubbles up, and people go, oh, that must be an angel. Jump in, you'll be healed. And did people get healed? Well, we know, and I know from my doctor friend that the placebo effect is forty percent. If you think something's gonna work, it works forty percent of the time. You have a cold remedy and it works for you. Doesn't work for me. But my cold remedy works for me and doesn't work for you. I mean, I've heard that Windex kinda is good for everything. (laughs) And if you didn't see that movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Verse five. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. I don't know how long you've been dealing with your issue or your problem or your situation. His was 38 years long. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been, already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? I'm thinking, really, Jesus? That's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Do you wish to get well? Hello? You don't think he wants to get well? And so I was thinking about this, and then I realized well, Jesus doesn't ask silly questions. So why did Jesus ask him this? And I realized well, this man has been ill for 38 years, an invalid. This had become his identity. I'm the invalid that lays by the pool. Waiting for it to be stirred so I can be healed. People often define themselves by their illness. I'm a diabetic. Or other people define them. He's he's the deaf man. She's the blind girl. He's the retarded kid. They're the one in the wheelchair. And people might define us, or we might define ourselves by our illness. So maybe this man had to think through, did he want to change his identity? This is who he's been for 38 years. And I don't know this, but there's a good chance that he made us living by begging. That was common. Well, the worse your condition, the more money you make. And so if all of a sudden he's healed, what's he going to do for a living? He's never done anything else. He doesn't have a trade. What he does is he begs, and he's really good at it. Been doing it for 38 years. He's got this thing honed down. Do you you want to give this up? Maybe it was more profitable to be an invalid. I don't know, but that's possible. And then there are those people who just like to play the victim. Oh, woe is me. How was your week? Oh, my week. Oh, my year. Oh, my life. You know? Life is so hard. Look what he did to me. Look what she did to me. Oh, if you only knew what happened to me 30 years ago in that football game in high school. It wasn't fair. <laughs> people, some people like to play the victim. So Jesus wants to find out if the guy wants to get well. It's a sincere question. Jesus doesn't ask insincere questions. Do you wish to get well? But instead of giving a simple yes or no, which would have sufficed, the man gives excuses. He waffles. Verse 7, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. It's everyone else's fault. It's always good to blame someone else, isn't it? Who moved the coffee table? You know, as you're limping across the living room. Well, it's always been there, but that's okay, you know. (laughs) I learned something when I was in the military. My commanding officer wanted me to say, yes, sir, or no, sir. He didn't expect me to say something like, well, you see, sir, there is a situation, sir. There is this person, sir. Well, sir, I was just thinking that what you really meant, sir, I thought it would be he wanted a yes, sir, or a no, sir. I think Jesus is the same way. He Not just of this man, but of you and of me. Jesus asked, will you obey me? Not Well, you see, Jesus, there is this person who told me that it, yes or no? Jesus asked, will you trust me? Well, Jesus, you don't understand how hard it is because I can't even see. Yes or no? Jesus asked, will you sacrifice for me? Well, Jesus, I can't, that's too big, What what do you think? Yes or no? Will you spend time with me? Jesus, you don't know what it's like living in the 21st century. i got this job. i got these demands. i got 47 kids. You know what it is? Yeah. Yes or no? Will you spend time with me? Will you love me? He doesn't want, well, you know, kind of, sort of, maybe, it depends, mostly. Yes, Lord. Or no, Lord. Be honest. So to this sick man, Jesus says, do you wish to get well, yes or no? A simple question which requires a simple answer. And the man had to decide what was going to define him. His illness or Jesus. Which brings us to our second truth that we learn here, and that's this. Number two, let Jesus, not circumstances, define who you are. Let Jesus, not circumstances, define who you are. Jesus wanted to redefine who this man was. Now circumstances shape us. No argument there. But they don't need to define us. Everyone has hardships. Everyone has tragedies. Everyone has illnesses. Everyone loses a loved one. Everyone has things in life that are unfair, unexpected, unwanted. But these hardships don't have to define us. They can make us bitter, or they can make us better, and we choose. Because you are not your circumstances. You are not your divorce. You are not your abuse. You are not your failure. You are not your sin. You are not your illness. You are what Jesus says you are. And you are what Jesus makes you to be. You are a son or daughter of God, you are a co heir with Christ. Jesus sees you, not in your sin, not in your failures, not in your weakness. The Scripture says He sees you as seated in the heavenly places next to Him. He has defined who you are, not your circumstances. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Believe it. Let Jesus, not circumstances, define who you are. A few years back, we had a pretty blonde, college-age gal who came to our church, and I hadn't seen her before, so I greeted her as she was leaving, and I said, "Um, is this your first time here at church? And she said, yes, this is my first time in church. Wow! I discovered that she had come with her military family, and moved from Europe and come to Hawaii and this is her first time ever in a church. She came once or twice and then she asked, "Could I sing up on the stage?" I said, "Well, let's have you talk to our worship director. At that time it was Rebecca." And so she met with Rebecca and then Rebecca came to me and said, "She doesn't know any Christian songs. She doesn't know the Christ. <laughs> She's not a Christian." So we prayed about it and we thought, you know, you could teach her a Christian song and she could sing special music. I have a problem with her leading us in worship if she's not a believer, but I don't have a problem with her praising God if she's an unbeliever. I mean, where do you start? So we decided she could learn a song and she could sing and she could do special music. And she did a beautiful job. She started attending the young adults group that... Rebecca's husband, Pastor Dan, led at the time. She was well-received. She one time stayed after, and Pastor Dan led her to Christ, and she came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. Easter was coming up, and she asked if she could be baptized, and so down at the beach, we baptized her. I failed to tell you that this young lady had cerebral palsy. She had one arm that didn't work well. She walked with a shuffle. Her speech sometimes was hard to understand. Her gaze at you wasn't always exactly what you expected. But she sang like an angel for the glory of Jesus Christ. She didn't let her circumstances define her. She let Jesus define her. If you met her, you probably wouldn't even notice at first her illness. When I talked to Rebecca, i want to make sure I had the story right. She goes, oh, yeah, I forgot about her illness. Yeah, easy to forget. She went off to college. She just finished her degree. It took her five years. It's an associate's degree, but she did it. Like the young woman I just talked about, like the man in our story, we have to decide what's going to define us. Jesus looks at the man and tells him to get up. In verse 8, Jesus says, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. Verse 9, And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. This isn't what the man was expecting. He was hoping Jesus would pick him up and throw him in the pool when it bubbled. Now that takes some faith. I mean, if you can't walk, and I don't know if he could move his arms, I don't know if he could swim, supposing he can't, to be thrown into a bubbly pool, you either get healed or you (laughs) drown. I think that takes faith. But that's not what Jesus did. He just told him to get up and... Without hesitation, without argument, without asking any questions, the man does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. And I find that peculiar. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he goes, oh, I should get up? Never thought of that. Been 38 years, never thought about standing up, and he stands up and he walks away. Verse 9, and immediately the man became well and took his pallet and began to walk. There's no record of any hallelujahs. There's no record of any praise gods. There's no record of any thank yous. There's no record of him asking Jesus, Who who did you say you were again? You'd think he'd want to know. But he's anxious to leave his past behind. So he stands up and walks away. You see, he encountered Jesus, but he missed the Christ. He didn't know who Jesus was. It's funny how easy it is to miss Jesus, especially when things are going well, when your life's being blessed, to miss that it's all coming from Jesus. Sometimes we think, "Oh well, it's my hard work. They got me this. It's my smarts. It's good fortune. Some of you, it's your good looks. <laughs> no, it's all Jesus. Don't miss him. Well, things are about to change for this man. We're told it's on the it's Sabbath day, the end of verse 9. And then verse 10 says, Therefore the Jews were saying to him who was curious, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. The Pharisees had this law. And the law was you couldn't carry anything in public between your house and and a public place on the Sabbath, and the penalty was death by stoning. Great. This guy hasn't walked in 38 years, and the first time he walks, he commits a capital offense. Verse 12. They asked him... Well, verse 11, But he answered him, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? The Pharisees don't care about the man. They don't care that he was an invalid for 38 years and he just had a miracle and he was healed miraculously. They don't care about a miracle. All they care is about their rules and regulations and people keeping them. Verse 13. But he who was healed did not know who it was. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't even know it was Jesus that healed him. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. And the first time I read that, I go, oh, this is incredible. How could he not know it was Jesus who healed him and who Jesus was? What was he thinking? But then I realized this man isn't Too unlike you and too unlike me. Creation is a much greater miracle. And yet most people don't realize that Jesus created everything. They miss him. Oh, look at the beautiful mountains. Look at the whales. Look at whatever. And we go, it's all random chance. (laughs) Physical birth is a greater miracle than this man being healed. Yet, most people think that physical birth is just something that evolution came up with. I mean, who's evolution? (laughs) Jesus is doing things in your life all the time. But if you're like most people, you miss it. You miss it. You attribute it to good fortune or good looks or good luck, whatever it is, not Jesus. No, this man is not so unlike you and me. Missing Jesus amidst the miraculous. Which leads us to a third principle for us to think about this morning. Number three, don't get so caught up with yourself that you miss Jesus. Don't get so caught up with yourself that you miss Jesus. It would seem to me that this man got so caught up in his healing, and he's so excited that he's well and he could walk, that he missed Jesus. He didn't even take five minutes to talk to him to find out who he was. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him, the man in the temple, and said to him, Behold, you have become well, do not sin any more, so that nothing worse may befall you. That man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. talking to Pastor Pete about this, and I go, sounds to me like this guy threw Jesus under the bus. (laughs) It's Jesus who committed the capital crime, you know. Pastor Pete pointed out, we don't know this man's motives. We don't know why he pointed Jesus out. And then I said to Pastor Pete, well, when someone throws you under the bus, you don't really care what his motives were. You're under the bus. (laughs) You know. So I don't really know what's going on here, but the man rats out Jesus. I don't know his motives, but he points to Jesus, and he, he says he's the one that did the miracle. Verse 16, and for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They want to kill him because he broke their Sabbath rules, not God's. And they want to kill him because he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Talk about missing Jesus, missing the Christ. He's right there. He's done a miracle, and he claims to be God. And they missed it. You have friends or people you met that might have told you, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, hello? Why was he crucified? What was the crime for which he was crucified? For claiming to be God. That's the whole reason he was crucified. Yes, Jesus claimed to be God because he is God, but so many people miss him. Don't miss Jesus. Don't get so caught up in your schoolwork or your job or your family or your relationships or your hardships or your sickness or your challenges that you miss Jesus. This story offers a lot of questions that aren't answered Why did Jesus pick this man to heal? Why did Jesus heal just this man and not everybody else? Why did Jesus make this man wait 38 years? Was there really an angel that came and stirred up the pool? Why didn't Jesus make it clear to the man who he was before he healed him? Why do a miracle that disappoints all the sick people who didn't get healed, that angers all the Pharisees who heard about it, and doesn't lead to the salvation of the man who got healed, as far as we know in the text. Wow, i got some questions. Well, Jesus doesn't give us answers to all of life's questions, but number four, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all of life's questions. Whatever your question is, the answer is Jesus. Questions don't always lead to answers, but your questions should always lead to Jesus. Some mysteries get solved in this life. Some mysteries have to wait until the next life. So I replied to that iMessage and said, I'm sorry to hear about mom, but who are you? (laughs) Discovered it's a friend of mine on the mainland who had an aging mother, not totally unexpected, and he was just updating me on what was going on. Some questions get answered. Many don't. But Jesus is always the answer in our lives. Would you pray with me? And I'd like to ask those who are preparing communion to come at this time and prepare the table. I'd like to ask you if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and bowing your head so you can have a private moment of reflection. If you're here and you've missed Jesus as the Christ, as the Savior, as the one who died for your sins and rose from the grave, and yet you recognize you've been missing him and you'd like him as your Savior, Just cry out to him now and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Christ. Please save me. And he will. Christian, take a moment to see Jesus as we pray quietly and prepare our hearts for the communion table. I'd like to close our service today with verse 20 and 21 from the book of Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Amen.